Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Also Sport Podcast. We discuss Lewis Hamilton's Italian Grand Prix victory and ask how Ferrari lost a potential one-two. Today was a day of days at Monza as Ferrari claimed a 1-2 in front of the adoring Tifosi. Well, that's what we would have been saying had the Italian Grand Prix gone as everyone expected it to. Instead, Lewis Hamilton overtook both Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel in a race that had everything, including a clash between the two World Championship protagonists. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look back at the Italian Grand Prix first is Adam Cooper. Now, Adam, you've been at every Italian Grand Prix for the past quarter of a century or so. This must rank among the best. Yeah, I have to say it was a fantastic race. Um, I think we've seen some pretty dull one-stop events over the last, uh, well, the 25 years I've been going. And I guess 2008, Vettel's winning the Toro Rosso in the rain is probably the, the most exciting one I've seen in that time. But yeah, today today was a very good race and one of the best of the season, I think. Yeah, something there was plenty to talk about. And my second guest is Scott Mitchell. Now, did you ever actually manage to get to the Monza banking? Uh, no, I, I failed spectacularly. I was given one off-track task this weekend, which was obviously to go over to the banking, and um, and I failed. I did get to see Fernando Alonso get absolutely mobbed by 
the Tifosi on the way in this morning. That was quite that was quite fun actually going and actually seeing firsthand how ridiculously passionate any like they are for anyone who's ever had any kind of link to Ferrari. We saw like was it yesterday going out of the circuit? You just, or no, today coming into the circuit, just anyone in a Ferrari uniform they just get signing autographs is brilliant. Exactly, there's kind of a, a crossroad just along from the paddock entrance where all the cars come in and all the car parks there for everybody who works in the paddock and you sort of have to cross this crossroads and it's full of fans and you know it's mobbed there and yeah for anybody Ferrari's absolutely absolutely mobbed. I even found a fan there. Yes who, you uh, did didn't who, you? Who flagged me down. I initially didn't notice. Uh, Your biggest fan. Exactly yeah and had a, had a pleasant chat with an Esteban Ocon fan which was uh, which was excellent but uh, yeah uh, I mean, Monza's Monza's Monza, isn't it? It's it's a great place. There's a reason they call it the uh, Temple of Speed. Is that what? That's, yeah, that's, that's the, the cliche. Yeah. Well, sometimes cliches are, are valuable, but yeah, we've we've let the dust settle on the race now. We're we're just after midnight here in our uh, rather pleasant apartment, actually in a in a nearby town, the name of which escapes me. Can you remember uh, where we are? Uh, I can never remember whether Sesto it's San Giovanni. Yeah, I can never ah, remember okay. whether it's Sesto San Giovanni or San Sesto Giovanni. But any time I put it into Google Maps, the internet fixes it for me. So. I struggle to remember where I am most of the time. Especially on the road. You've been terrible in dire- when directing you to the circuit and back. It's like, right here, Ed. And then you just go straight over the roundabout. It's the co-driver's job to give the pace notes at the precise correct moment. If they're too early, I'm going to forget them. If you do it more than about a second before I have to turn, I'm going to forget. That's, that's just what's going to happen. Well, let's actually get down to business. Scott, I mean, the big talking point of the race was on the first lap when Hamilton went around the outside of Vettel to try and take second place into the second chicane. The result was contact. Vettel spun down to the back, had to head to the pits for a new front wing and picked up some damage. Hamilton had second and then, of course, he went on to, to win the race. But any time the two title protagonists come together is, is a big deal, isn't it? So what did you make of that incident? Well, I was quite surprised that sort of... Not that Vettel contested it on the inside because, as you say, it's two title rivals going wheel to wheel. Hamilton sort of judged it to perfection on the outside. Hamilton said immediately after the race he was he was quite surprised that, that Vettel went to the inside there because he was immediately risking himself getting boxed in by by Kimi. And then once they actually get to the corner, it's difficult to know whether or not Vettel upsets himself on the inside curb or he just takes too much just takes flat out too much speed into the corner because Hamilton has has judged that absolutely perfectly on the outside and, and Lewis said afterwards that like, he felt awesome in the car. And then actually when he watched the replay get back he was really pleased to see it looked as good on the outside as it felt inside and Hamilton judged it perfectly and Vettel didn't. And unfortunately for Ferrari fans and Vettel fans, that's beginning to be the uh, the story of the season. Well, the fourth significant points-costing mistake of the season for Vettel, which is hugely significant in his, in his current championship position. But, but Adam, I mean, looking at uh, Ferrari's position, they went from first and second. Obviously, Vettel didn't get the lead off the line. He, he had a bit of a look at Raikkonen at the first chicane and then he had a bit of a look at the second chicane before Hamilton attacked so it seems that kind of Vettel's desperation to get ahead play maybe played a part in those circumstances and then you have to I guess go back to qualifying when Vettel went out ahead of Raikkonen and rather than Raikkonen giving him a toe and Vettel lost the potential toe to Hamilton in, in Q3. Yeah I'm sure that wasn't lost on Vettel um, this evening when he, he thought through the, the weekend in his mind because obviously if he'd been on pole with Kimi riding shotgun then he would probably wouldn't have been in that situation and yes, it does go back to qualifying and that, that peculiar situation where Vettel ended up towing Kimi. And I don't think we've really got to the bottom of that, have we, as, as to why that happened. And I don't think Seb's actually 
said very much in public, has he? No, well, he was asked about it after the race again and said, no, we've talked about it. The thing that, that happened is they clearly went out in that order because it was their turn. They rotate, as Vettel said. So it was Vettel and Raikkonen. Now, Vettel and his outlet was about two seconds behind Hamilton. Now, Hamilton would be a really good guy to tow behind. Hamilton had Bottas up the road at a nice towing distance. But there seemed to be, because Raikkonen asked at some stage, right, are we going to stay in this order? And they say, yeah, confirm. So there's some debate there. And, and I just wonder if between trying to get a tow from Hamilton or maybe dropping behind Raikkonen, Vettel just ended up sort of in between the two and ended up in a really bad position because Hamilton was starting a Q3 lap. And if he'd been three to four seconds behind, that would have been that would have been spot on. So I get the feeling there was some indecision, some uh, slightly muddy thinking going on perhaps at Ferrari, a bit like we saw at Spa when they all came in, when the rain came in Q3 into the garage and there was a bit, a bit of blind panic. Yeah, it was just a bit slow, wasn't it? They think... Vettel was obviously, obviously very unhappy, and he made it his feelings clear, didn't he, at the end of at the end of Q3. But as you say, when he was pushed multiple times to explain what it was that he was annoyed by, he said he was going to keep that to himself, and and obviously address with address the team what he wanted to be to be addressed. And as as you both said, carried over to to Sunday, and it's just more of sort of Vettel not making the right calls in the heat of battle, isn't it? He should have just cracked on as per the plan in qualifying and got a bit of a toe off Hamilton. That would have that could have made all the difference against Kimi in the in the fight for pole. Um, but regardless, that didn't happen. He, he you have to you have to play the hand you you you're dealt. He starts second, and okay, he didn't quite make it happen into turn into turn one into the first chicane. But then he's got a second chance, and, and he'll have another chance at the end of the first lap, presumably. And it's just all of these little misjudgments are now are now adding up. And I think Hamilton's what thirty points clear now. I think Vettel obviously got that little gift at the end, the extra two points, because Max Verstappen being a bit Max Verstappen about things, but 30-point deficit at this stage of the season. And you've got to say that's pretty much entirely Vettel's fault, isn't it? The other thing is that you mentioned the four mistakes this year, but I think if you look back over the Ferrari years, I, I just seem to remember him having you know, at least a couple of first lap incidents every season. He just seems to be a little bit accident prone on first laps. Um, and I guess a lot of that time he's been qualifying third or fourth and maybe he was more likely to get in trouble than when he was on the front row. But he does seem to get into the odd scrape. I, I tend to feel that it's sometimes when it's those moments of really intense pressure when he kind of wants to be wants to do something it doesn't quite happen and then he's trying to force the issue like I bet in his mind's eye picture the race he was ahead of Kimmy going into the first corner job done win the race got my rear gunner behind me brilliant and then as soon as he's not there he, he's worried about it I think this is exactly the same thing that when he made that poor start at Singapore uh, in in the wet and then he moved across because it's kind of oh, I've got to stay ahead and, and I just think it rather than just something initially hasn't gone right, then just doing what you're doing. You're trying to kind of make up for it. And I think it just clouds his judgment. So I think he thought, I need to be ahead of Kimi. And so he's sort of having that the half look into the second chicane and then suddenly Hamilton's down the outside. Yeah, I think the other thing for me is that not only is this sort of Vettel's constantly making these mistakes, when we've got this fight going on at the moment, Hamilton's not. And so it's a, it's a double whammy for Vettel. He's not He's not operating at Hamilton's level, I don't think this season arguably Vettel's peaks have been higher but Lewis has just had that sustained level the the whole way through and he's driving the way the way Hamilton's driving I obviously you've seen it firsthand I haven't but from afar I, I would argue that Vettel is uh, that, that Hamilton is driving better in this title winning 
title leading season at the moment than he has in his most recent title winning seasons. Well, Ham- Hamilton certainly kind of coming into form. The first part of the season, there were some lacklustre weekends when you're struggling to get on with the car. And you would say that on the weekends when things have gone, well, on, on a normal weekend, Vettel's been much better over the course of the season at getting the kind of most out of the car that's under him, admittedly with a more consistent car. But now Hamilton's kind of hit his stride. He's driving brilliantly. I was, I was watching down at the first chicane in FP3 and you could see, remember at Spa, they said they had a traction deficit out of La Source and also out of the last chicane, which was at disadvantage. And it was interesting watching because you could see Raikkonen and Ben Vettel were taking very orthodox approaches, but Hamilton was just rotating the car a bit more, slightly square in the corner, having a, a, a more progressive slightly gentler application of the, of the throttle, which I presume, because it, it's slightly unorthodox, was, was to mitigate against that. So they're not, you know, not sort of flying over the curbs and then carrying more speed through and, and relying on the, the traction to, to pull you out of it, but just able to, to build it. And I think from what Toto Wolf said about all the analysis they've done from Spa, they did a lot of work thinking about how they could mitigate those those deficits that Toto Wolf talked about. And, and Hamilton's been essential in that in terms of just, just driving brilliantly. I think we should say that, that Vettel has also been very, very good this season. As we point, he's, as we point he's out, he's a great driver. Yeah, his, and and his peaks have been phenomenal. When he gets the most out of the Ferrari, the, it's a superb combination. The difference is that there've been just those small lapses, haven't there, with with Vettel that I don't really think we've seen from Hamilton yet this year. And also, I think he he was just plain unlucky today. I think uh, I think Toto said it almost defied the laws of physics that it was Vettel who spun rather than Lewis on the outside. Charlie Whiting was talking today, saying that the stewards um, had accepted it as a racing incident. And he said it was just in the lap of the gods as to who ended up worse off. So I think he was a bit unlucky. And it could have been the other way around that, that it was Lewis crawling back to the pits with a puncture or what have you. It reminded me a little bit of when you play a, um, a, a racing game on one of the many available online gaming consoles. And um, just the way the physics engine works on these racing games, that if you're on the inside of a car and the front half of your car gets hit, you just always spin, just like without fail. It, you never spin the car in front round. It just, for some reason, just loses the rear and tips. Into it. That's what it looked like because it was just that really weird, I guess, it, I guess it was because Lewis was squared off. So there wasn't any, if you see what I mean, there wasn't any sort of imbalance in the Mercedes. The Ferrari was the one that was sort of, the weight distribution was a bit off because it was mid-corner and turning and rotating. So it was obviously lighter on the rear. So when it had the hit, it, it spun round. But I agree, it, it did look a, it was it was a bit of a rare spin. You've, how many times have we seen someone clatter into the side of someone this season and wipe out both cars or the or the car in front? And this time it was obviously Vettel that came off worst. Well, obviously, what it did is it sent Vettel to the back. He pitched for his new front wing. He had some damage to the bits around the side pod that um, he he said he was surprised when he got out of the car at the end of the race to see just how much damage there was in that, that area. So that was holding him back and gave him a slightly weird balance. So he was off to the back, working his way back through from, I think he was down in 18th place uh, initially. So then it boils down to Raikkonen versus Hamilton. So they've still got Raikkonen on pole leading the Italian Grand Prix. So you think, well, okay, you've lost one of them, but, you know, Hamilton's up there. Bottas didn't have a great first couple of corners. He got passed by Verstappen into the into the first chicane. And in fact, Grosjean got him on the on the um, run into the, the second chicane briefly. So he, so Bottas was kind of disconnected because he spent the first stint behind Verstappen. So it was kind of 1v1 at the, at this stage, at least. Anyway, Bottas will come back into play later. So then we had Raikkonen leading from Hamilton in that first stint. Now, Adam, we sort of had this period where the two of them were running together. The gap was never bigger than 1.5 seconds. Kimi couldn't get away. And 
it's just this sort of waiting game, wasn't it, to see when who sort of who would blink first, who would pit, could Hamilton try the undercut, could Raikkonen do it first and 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 pull away. And in the end, it it was Raikkonen that stopped first. We had this period where Mercedes were out in the pit lane, what what some people have slightly inaccurately called a phantom pit stop, because yeah. they went out into the pit lane and Ferrari responded, and then Lewis said that um, he 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 thought that he might be pitting first, but in the end, uh, yeah, it was Kimi. And the phantom pit stop was a, it's quite an intriguing story. I mean, I, I was listening to Sky and Paul DeResta suggested that they, they'd done it to put the mechanics out there because Mercedes are just in front of Ferrari and it just made the angle a bit more complicated for Kimi and lost him a few fractions. But I think um, when I asked Toto about it later, I, 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 it generally was a possibility that Lewis was going to come in so the mechanics were justifiably out there. And uh, Charlie Whiting says the FIA doesn't have any problem. They know that from time to time the crew goes out. Although in the rules, you're only supposed to be in the pit lane if the car is coming in. There are genuinely times when the car might be coming in and they do go out and we have these phantom pit stops. And obviously it does sometimes create a bit of excitement amongst fans, especially if they think their driver's been inconvenienced in some way. Well, it's logical because Mercedes wants to try the undercut. and wants to close back up to... Uh, to Raikkonen, so he's pretty close again. And so if Raikkonen hadn't come in, he'd have pitted. But the worst thing you could do is both stop at the same time. Because if Hamilton stops at the same time as Raikkonen, unless Ferrari make a pit stop blunder, which they were nowhere near doing, a static time was 2.2 seconds for, for Raikkonen. You're, you you can't do the old school jump them in the pit stops anymore because yeah. pit stops are so fast that there's just not enough of a, of a, of a difference there. So it's perfectly legitimate for Mercedes to, to do that because obviously Ferrari were were going to cover it, weren't they? So, yeah, it seemed like a pretty clear cut case of just do the opposite of what Kimmy does. If Kimmy stays left coming out of the parabolica pit, if Kimmy pits, stay out. So you get ready just in case he's coming in. It's not that you're faking the pit stop; you're in the in a position to do it. But that's sort of quite logical. And I heard um, I wasn't listening to Sky; um, I was listening to the, the BBC radio coverage, and I heard a suggestion that um, that they were doing it as a sort of they just they were just like setting it up to, to to call Ferrari's bluff, and I'm 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 not convinced it did feel like a a, a real a real thing at the time, and it was just fifty fifty on which if, way it went. If, if Kimi hadn't pitted, it would have been a golden opportunity to undercut because mm. Hamilton was close. He'd have had the fresh uh, the fresh set of softs, and that, that would have been absolutely absolutely perfect. So I'm sure they'd have said, right, we know we can undercut, because that's a difficult thing for Mercedes when you're behind. You want to do the undercut, but the car ahead can see what you're doing. I think Mercedes knew Kimi was coming in. Um, I've, I've got the advantage, but uh, the race is now same as you do, Ed, of having the the F one vision or what we used to call the fan vision or kangaroo, and now we get live uh, radio, which is fascinating because you can choose a driver, and I I just pick the top four guys for this race, and you get everything live and uncensored, and we hear so much more than you get on the the world feed and you get it at the time rather than 30 seconds later. So obviously all the teams have been listening to each other for years. So we heard box, box, box for Kimi. So Mercedes knew exactly what they were doing. They reacted in case there was a change of plan and Kimi stayed out or it was some kind of bluff by Ferrari. So they knew exactly what, what Ferrari was seemingly planning to do. I think it was always going to boil down to a moment like that because ultimately you know, the, the, somebody was going to have to have to trigger it, and it was always going to have to be Ferrari being a little bit defensive by trying to trying to preempt it. But of course, once Raikkonen had had made his stop, Hamilton 
attacked, but couldn't quite hammer time. Well, he, he was trying to do what you might call an overcut where you run longer, which is quite hard to do and unlikely. But, you know, Raikkonen wasn't absolutely flying straight away. So I think the gap was about, it was about 23 seconds when, when Raikkonen came out of the pits. And then it, it closed a little bit, sort of close to 22 seconds. And I think, and there was a point where Raikkonen, I think, made an error in the first chicane a couple of laps into that run and dropped back about four tenths and it went sort of back to about 23. And he thought, if, if Hamilton just finds a bit more, he would be able to, to make the stop. But, but ultimately, you know, un- the undercut is almost invariably better. So plus, plus it obviously put, it put Hamilton in a position whereby he could rejoin, rejoin, not be a massive distance behind, but have considerably fresher tires. And obviously, as you, you mentioned Bottas earlier, Bottas is, running his own race at this point in that fight for Verstappen. Verstappen's pit before him. So Bottas is extending his own stint. So I think Mercedes actually, Mercedes has come under fire this season for its strategic calls, but they played this one absolutely brilliantly because Hamilton, we saw how critical Raikkonen's situation was with his left rear tyre at the end of the race. So by giving Hamilton an extra eight laps, you protect against that, that possibility. It, he didn't lose too much time so that he dropped back and had to use all of his tyres just to catch him back up, but gave them a safety net as well by keeping Bottas out. And then Bottas did an absolutely brilliant job to extend his stint, keep Raikkonen behind, so stop Raikkonen being able to go any faster if he could. And we have to assume that Raikkonen would have been able to go faster because he caught Bottas. But Bottas at the, at the same time was lapping quickly enough to put himself in a brilliant position against Verstappen. So it wasn't like Bottas was just told, okay, we're hanging you out to dry now, sacrificing you. Don't care what pace you run at, just keep Kimi behind. I think that Mercedes actually played both parts of that absolutely spot on. I think the the key thing about that that period is also they had a look, they, Hamilton stayed out, I thought, right, the overcut isn't going to work. We'll keep going. And that also created a situation where Raikkonen needed to go quickly. And that played a big part because how you run the tyres early on when the car's at its heaviest... You've got the most tread on the tyre as well, because when you've got the most tread, that's when you often get the most overheating, which can accelerate your your blistering problem. So I think it was that period where Raikkonen was having to go pretty quickly to close the gap, because of course you have to remember, it wasn't just a pit, normal pit stop gap he needed. He also needed to, as quickly as possible, close up to Hamilton in case there was a virtual safety car or a safety car, which there could have been, because Ricardo had a what was described as a clutch problem, pulled off on the run between the second chicane and the Lesmo, and we thought, well, this could be a, a virtual safety car or a safety car. So Raikkonen, I think, basically had to had to lean on his, his rear tires too much in that period, and then the rear left. You, you know, you can you can manage a bit of blistering, but once you get to a certain level, you, you've done it. And you could see quite early on, very visibly from uh, from uh, the TV coverage, you could see the the blister he had on on, on the left, the blistering he had on the left rear. And I think from that point, Mercedes and Hamilton knew they had a they had a chance here. Yeah, and I, I mean, I had no idea that Lewis was going to stay out for eight laps, and presumably Ferrari, they know a lot more than than I do or we do about the, the various permutations. But uh, I'm assuming that they had plans for Lewis coming in after one lap, two lap, three laps. Well, they, they tried to because there was a point where they said, right, one more lap, but then it it clearly became obvious to them it wasn't going to going to happen. And I think as well, there was also that point, I can't remember exactly where the time it was, but because Ricardo was it on lap 24, that was 24 Ricardo yeah. stopped, they might have thought, oh, hang on a minute, we might get a VSC here. 
because we're not because basically they have to throw a VSC or a safety car if there's going to be any kind of recovery vehicle on the track. So they probably thought, oh well, we better leave you there just in case because sometimes you can have a bit of lag before they need uh, need a safety car. So I think they probably just thought, right, stay out just in case because then you might get your free pit stop and hold the lead. And then at that point they thought, okay, well we'll keep going and we'll extend a bit further and, and exaggerate that offset because we know there's no chance of us. State of, of of us pitting and coming back out ahead of Raikkonen. weren't there also a few reports of of rain, a, a, bit, a bit of drizzle at this point? Raikkonen well. mentioned it was, uh, yeah, there was a few drops of rain. On the it it didn't sound like it was going to be a big thing, but it was. Just, I I would imagine that if Mercedes were aware of that, had either heard that message or noted it themselves, then it's just an extra element, isn't it? Just okay, well, as you said, better to be cautious and stay out for a lap or two and potentially lose a second or two, than. It is pit moments before you have an opportunity to pit and gain a load of time. Uh, basically, yeah, there were, there are a lot of reasons to uh, to stay out, and I think probably fairly early on they clocked the fact that Raikkonen was in a bit of trouble because you have to remember that they look closely at footage. They've they've got photographers taking close up images and that kind of thing, so they they will monitor closely. Well, I, I'm, I have to say I'm cheating and looking at my notes here, but um, again, going back to the the F1 vision and having access to that radio it is so useful. It was just a couple of laps after Lewis stopped. Kimi was told, think about the rear tyres. So that would have been about 10 laps into Kimi's stint. And then obviously Mercedes passed that message on to Lewis. So only a couple of laps out of the pits and Lewis is told that, that his rival's in trouble. So that must have been quite motivating for him. Then a couple of laps after that, he, Lewis was told the, the race, literally the race will be won or lost on tyres just to reassure him that he had to, uh, protect his as much as he could because otherwise he'd get into the same situation as Kimi. I think that was the point when obviously at that point Reichen was behind Bottas because that was shortly before Bottas eventually made his pit stop at the end of uh, just checking my notes here. Yeah, the end of that 36 I think Bottas came in. So I think they also wanted to make sure that Hamilton realised he didn't just have to attack instantly. Yeah, he could yeah. he could play the long game because Raikkonen was struggling. And Raikkonen's very, very good in terms of time management and that kind of thing. You know, if, if anyone's going to be able to to get you home in that situation with a with blistering, it's going to be him. But yeah, I mean, he said after the race he, he didn't have a chance. So it just comes down to when does Hamilton pick his moment, really? And you know, the pass when it came, Scott wasn't uh, it, it wasn't easy. It was certainly harder than the first pass that Hamilton had pulled on Raikkonen. Of course, what we didn't mention is at the restart early on, Hamilton blasted past Raikkonen on the run down to the first corner and then Raikkonen re-passed him, which is a great bit of battling, but a bit of the uh, the spirit of the old monster slip streamers of yore that we had there. But of course, so they swapped positions, so that, that wasn't wasn't very relevant. But yeah, the second pass, Hamilton on Raikkonen, was, was a little bit more contested. What I liked about that one was that he only properly got alongside the Ferrari as they got to the braking zone. So it was proper, like, it was just one of those rare examples of, like, DRS doing what it, was always intended to do which was tested braking zones yeah, yeah exactly rather than just letting people blast past on the straight so it, it was actually different ferrari different chicane but effectively a carbon copy of the move that got him past vettel on the first lap because it was just perfectly judged on the outside limit of the brake li- limit of braking knowing that you've got a rival that's contesting it on the inside running it as wide as possible giving them as much space as you need rather than just running straight on and giving them all the space they need. Just just basically doing everything right 
And and Kimmy, to his credit, given the situation we knew he was facing with his tyres, he was under attack, a lot of pressure. I think he did a really good job of trying to contest it on the inside there. But we know that if the car on the outside doesn't screw it up and Hamilton was far from screwing it up, they've then got it nailed, haven't they, for the second part of the chicane. So it was a really, really good move. And obviously he had to then rebuff Kimmy down to the second chicane. But 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 the but the job was done and, and, and it was pretty pretty uh, plain sailing there from Hamilton. Yeah, Raikkonen was dead in the water, basically. Hamilton pulled away at around about a second a lap, all the way to the end of the race, crossed the line, 8.7 seconds, clear to win. And yeah, uh, the, the thing there is that, yeah, Ferrari did basically throw away a, a, a one-two, you could say. But I think what made a difference in this race was combination with Mercedes, because Mercedes played this correctly strategically, but Hamilton just every moment did what he needed to do. He asked the questions, he made the moves, he put the pressure on. And that was what made this, for me, such a good win from Lewis Hamilton. You know, we've all seen a lot of wins from Lewis Hamilton in, in Formula One. What's he up to? 68 now, I think the number is. That's up there among the best of them, I would say, just in terms of he had to make things happen. And to do it in Italy, where clearly, he, you know, he was under a bit of pressure from the, the fans. and he, he seems to enjoy on the podium telling all the ones who are booing him, yeah, that your negative energy gives me, yeah. gives me power. Yeah, yeah. And obviously... um it's it's a funny thing that we've seen quite a lot in recent years that sometimes the team that, that dominates qualifying and looks like they're in charge on Saturday night, it, it sort of swaps around uh, the next day. Um, it didn't happen so much in the Mercedes domination years, but um, you know, I remember going back to the sort of Schumacher era when it was McLaren versus Ferrari. It just seemed to be so often that one of them would dominate Saturday and the other one would win. It would flip around for Sunday and We've kind of seen that these last two weekends, haven't we? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and when you get, I mean, ultimately the pace, Ferrari had a big pace advantage in Belgium. They didn't have that here. They did have a bit of a pace advantage, certainly in qualifying. But then track conditions come into it. Because, of course, the, the reason for the for the blistering, Monza's circuit that puts tremendous longitudinal strain on the tyres, heavy braking, plus also the traction areas, but the braking in particular. And what we had running through the weekends, we had a wet FP1, Marcus Ericsson's massive accident when the, the DRS didn't shut and he snapped left and had a, had a huge crash uh, into, into turn one in FP2. That costs 20 minutes of the session. So the long runs weren't as long. On Friday, Ferrari only had one set of soft tyres for use in practice between its two drivers, which Raikkonen used. Vettel never run the soft until the race, so... Ferrari shot themselves in the foot there in terms of not giving them knowledge. And that's not the first time that's happened. Because remember Baku, where Raikkonen went out to qualify in Q2 on softs and he had a lock-up and he had to put super softs on. So he's the only one of the front runners on the... Uh, I, I may have got the tire compounds wrong, but it was the he tried to do it on the middle compound and then he had to put the softest compound on. But he hadn't run it before. So surprisingly enough, he went out to nail a qualifying lap on it and he yeah. made a mistake. You need, you need that knowledge. So all these conditions changed. It was a tiny bit warmer. Uh, certainly as the race went on, it started cooler and then the temperature went off, so more difficult to control the blistering. So these small differences have an impact. As you said, in the Mercedes dominance era, because they had such a big margin, you know, if you had, if you go from qualifying and you lose two tenths of a second of your pace for whatever condition reason, it doesn't matter because your opposition's still miles away. But when the difference is tiny, that you get these big swings, which is absolutely brilliant this year. And what I loved about, about this weekend, sort of, Adam touched on it at the at the beginning about it being one of the best races of the season. And okay, so we so obviously if you're looking for the perfect scenario, what we saw with Raikkonen and Hamilton would have been Vettel and Hamilton because it would have been the title rivals. But we had Hamilton 
pull a proper move on his title rival on the opening lap. Contact between the title rivals, which, okay, you want to see them go wheel to wheel for the full distance if you can, but also title rivals colliding is is pretty tasty. Um, we had a absolutely proper, brilliant Mercedes versus Ferrari two-car fight for the win, which an absolute nose-to-tail 75-80% of the race going absolutely at it. That's amazing. We don't often see that in Formula 1. And for me, this was just a continuation of what is proving to be one of the proper all-time classic title contests, Vettel versus Hamilton, two of the greatest drivers of this generation. See, Alonso's in that, in that mix as well. I'm going to count Alonso in that generation of driver. Ferrari versus Mercedes, so two massive manufacturers going at it. And, okay, the, the points gap is a bit bigger than we'd like at this stage, but actually I think this was just the, the latest phase in, in what's a, an absolutely mega season. Now, Scott, also the battle for third. Valtteri Bottas did finish third in the end. He was fourth on the road because he was still behind Verstappen, but Verstappen had a five-second penalty. Dropped a fifth behind Sebastian Vettel as well. Verstappen got that penalty for the moment when he was defending on the run to, down to turn one. And then he moved back left to where Bottas was in the in the, the braking zone. Max wasn't very happy about this. What do you think? Well, Max isn't happy about it because he says he gave Bottas enough room. But I think only in Max Verstappen's world did Max Verstappen leave enough room for Bottas. He just, he just didn't, did he? He moved over, crowded Bottas out. That's why they collided. Uh, the only way that Bottas was going to avoid a collision there was by going off onto the grass to the left before the corner. And and what and what's really annoying is that that Verstappen did make progress after all the incidents he was having at the start of this year, and he had looked like he'd he'd modified his approach in a, in enough of a way to sort of get him away from that, but still be mega quick and mega aggressive. And this was sort of a response, a sort of a return to to the early season Verstappen, because not only did he do this move, which I think was stupid and also dangerous, but he he then had that attitude attitude of once he got his five-second time penalty, he had the opportunity to not mess around and salvage fourth, just let Bottas get in, get in front. But he was so angered and so determined to then keep Bottas behind him and race Bottas on track that he radioed his team and said, I don't care that I'm losing time to Vettel. And, I, and he knew he was going to get past for Vettel and drop to fifth. He didn't care because for some reason he felt he had this point to prove this, and in principle wasn't going to yield third on track. And it just it was a return to that sort of immaturity and petulance that dogged the first part of the season for him. Yeah, it was needless. There is a specific regulation, a specific guideline rule that says that you can move basically twice on the straight. You can defend and then you can retake the line. But if there's a car there on the outside, you have to give it a car's width. By definition, he didn't. And, and am I right in saying that, that there were there was a move to clarify that regulation because of Verstappen a couple of years back? Because he was involved in a few incidents of moving in the braking zone and he was annoying people. So yeah, there was a clarification from, from, from the FIA, from the powers that be, reminding drivers only move once in the braking zone. Yeah, well, they've, they've had endless problems with him. On it. So he, just, he just needs to learn, really, doesn't he? It's, it's unfortunate, because from Canada onwards up to this race, he's, he's been performing performing really, really strongly. So, yeah, well, that, well, that set the, the, the top five finishers. But, of course, we did have some drama after the race with Renault protesting Roman Grosjean's Haas, which led to Roman Grosjean losing what had been an excellent sixth place. Now... 
It's a fairly complicated one. This one. Who'd like a Who'd like a go at explaining this? Adam, you're you're always all over this this sort of thing. So, what exactly, in in simple terms, did uh, did Haas do wrong? Well, it's all to do with the um, detail of the of the floor, which is far too complicated um, to try and get into. I don't think any of us quite understand it but what what's interesting is the sort of principle of what's happened in that there's been a there was a technical directive in July that all the teams had to comply with and they were told that they'd have to comply by uh, Monza and from what we've seen from the the stewards decision has um had some dialogue with the FIA and pointed out that we might not be able to get it done by Monza because of the summer break meaning they couldn't get the stuff from their suppliers, which I guess means Delara, I presume, make the floor as they make the chassis and most of the other bits. Um, and then there's um, the steward's decision goes into some detail about this uh, discussions between Haas and the FIA. And Haas claim they sent an email saying, basically, is it okay if we do it by Singapore? And apparently they didn't get a definitive answer to that. And they seem to have taken that as as a an okay but then Nicholas Tombasis of the FIA has has told the stewards that well I had a conversation with them where I told them that it had to be done by Monza if they didn't do it they'd open themselves up for a protest and it's a bit of a confusing situation where um you know you could look at it and say well if the FIA thought the car was illegal why do you have to wait for a team to protest and that is a bit of a an interesting grey area, um, which I've never really come across before. Um, but it seems that it, it has appeared to have, have uh, made a bit of a misjudgment here. They've appealed the decision, so um, they've now got a few days to decide whether they want to go ahead with that appeal. The two options are that they withdraw the appeal and accept the exclusion, or it goes to um, uh, a tribunal where they have, they'll have lawyers and evidence and all the rest of it. And then they can argue about what was said and who said what. But I've got a feeling that, that uh, they're going to struggle to, to win this one. And obviously this is going, playing out against the, the, the backdrop of Haas and Renault having this fierce fight for fourth in the championship. And that result before the, the protest and the exclusion had put Haas above Renault for fourth in the championship, which is a huge, well, would be a huge result for, for the American team. But then Renault's protest being upheld and Grosjean getting chucked out drops Haas back behind Renault. Yeah. And it's, it's excellent because I'm not entirely convinced, obviously, that change, the, the, the fact that there was a change for a position in the Constructors' Championship, I'm sure, didn't trigger the, the protest itself. I'm sure they were set on doing it anyway if they thought that it was illegal. But yeah, it now yeah. adds a bit of spice to this fight, doesn't it? I think this has been coming for some days um, in the middle of the dis- decision where there's that reference to, um, oh, we couldn't get the fix done because of the summer break. The stewards say at least one other team was able to do do the, the fix or modify their car. And one would guess that that team is Renault because that's the one who, who's been in the discussions um, in the hearing with, with the stewards. Um, so Renault were obviously aware that they were compromised in some way by having to change something and get it done in a hurry and they must have kept an eye on all the other cars and I guess somebody saw the Haas and uh, they've had pictures and they've sort of decided that the Haas was was wrong and they've just been keeping their powder dry until after the race and the fact yeah the the incredible coincidence that they both ended up with uh, 84 points with the original result with Haas ahead on the fourth place from Austria 
and obviously Renault um, have been fourth place for most of the year um, and their advantage was 30 plus points not so long ago and Haas has been catching, catching and catching and this was the day when Renault got knocked down to fifth albeit on equal points and the incredible coincidence that with that exclusion as it stands Renault are now 10 points ahead again <laughs> it's quite amazing and I spoke to Cyril a bit of all after the race um, and in Spa he, he talked about the disappearing lead as being like an ice cube in the sun and uh, I said to him today well the ice cube's melted hasn't it and he said yeah now it's a, it's a seven race championship for fourth place and I didn't know then that this protest was going to happen and in fact they get a 10 point advantage back but um, it's going to be quite tough for them to, to, ha- to get that fourth place back or to, to hang on to it and although we don't want to get too much into technicalities and because I tend to be after the race focused very much on the on-track stuff, I haven't had a really close look at this. But in general terms, this is to do with with the shape of the front of parts on the front of the floor. It refers to the reference plane, which is the lowest part of the car, of course, other than the other than the wheels, which are attached to the ground. So sort of low down, sort of at the front of the the sort of floor section, there's certain radiuses that are stipulated that they're uh, that they're not uh, uh, not complying with. One final thing to add, just on the exclusion and what it means for the results, is someone who I can, I think I, and I think you'll back me up on this, Ed, I can safely describe as new friend of Autosport, Sergei Sirotkin, has scored his first point in Formula 1 as a result of the, the Haas exclusion, promoted to 10th place. Yeah, and in fact, it's a, it's a double points finish for uh, for Williams, astonishingly, with uh, Lance Stroll ninth and Sergei Sirotkin 10th, uh, which is summer. Well, they're actually much stronger. So, uh, Lance Stroll actually managed to get them through to, uh, to Q3, and Sirotkin qualified strongly as well. But there's also another points implication, and this is uh, significant because, Adam, you talked about the battle for fourth, but uh, racing point force India, as we must now call them, Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez finished sixth and seventh after that exclusion. They're now up to seventh in the in the constructors' championship. And if you look at the points gap, they're on thirty-two points. Renault in fourth are on eighty-six. And while it seems still quite a long way, it's not completely out of the question that Force India, in half a season, could get into the into the reckoning for. I mean, they're going to finish at worst six. Surely they'll overhaul McLaren. But Haas and Renault, they could pick off one or both of those. And remember, this is the team that last season, I think each driver individually scored enough points to finish fourth in the constructors on their own. Yeah, yeah. So could they actually do this? I think uh, yeah, fourth is a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Um, I Got think lots they, of new parts coming for Singapore. I yeah, yeah. Well, they, I think they, they've sort of targeted sixth as, as, as the minimum. But after that, I think it will get difficult to reel in Haas and, and Renault. But it was interesting that they got past um, uh, Williams in Spa. They got past uh, Sauber with the original result today. And then they got past Toro Rosso with the revised result. So in just these two races, they've they've gained three places and several million pounds in, in the process. It says a lot about the um, the underperformance of some of the other teams on the grid that uh, and the, the brilliance and execution of this plucky Silverstone team that in two races they can outscore their so many rivals over 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 12 to 14 races it's it's, it's remarkable what what they're doing and obviously yes there's there's all sorts of controversy bubbling away in the background over whether they'll get any of the prize money for the their position in the championship um but in terms of the on track job that they're doing, the the way the race team is executing everything, the job that the drivers are doing, they're they're, they're performing extremely well at the moment, and 
I think it, it's sort of justifying all of the effort that went through to save it, isn't it? They're, they're an absolute credit to F1. Adam, what actually is going on with the off-track stuff with Racing Point Force India and Haas again, potentially not liking the possibility? I mean, what, what exactly is going on with the, with the prize money side? So of course, prize money, there's two types, aren't there? You have your column two, which is your Constructors' Championship position for the previous year, and then column one, which is a, a share of, a, of a, another pot of money, which is is split between the teams based on those who finished in the top three, in, based on those who finished in the top 10 of the championship in two of the previous three years. So what's what's the revived horse India got and not got and what the others think they might not deserve to have? Yeah, it is quite a complicated story, but the, 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 the basics are that um, any team that goes into administration, according to the, well, into insolvency, and administration is a form of insolvency, according to the Concord Agreement, you lose all your commercial rights. That can then be overcome if the other nine teams all agree and sign and say, yeah, it's okay, we don't mind. And um, with some reluctance, everybody did eventually sign. We know that Renault, McLaren and Williams were a bit um, slow to do so. Renault, McLaren made it quite clear it was kind of a protest about the the B-team scenario and they were fearing a closer collaboration with Mercedes. There was a bit of that from Williams, but also I think because... Clearly, they're in financial trouble. They're about to lose Lawrence Stroll and so on. And they were kind of making a point about that. And in the end, everybody did sign. But that was on the basis that it was the same company, the same team, the same entry. And Liberty clearly convinced everybody that it would be good for the sport. The way it turned out, as we all know now, is they couldn't buy the company because of the trouble with uh, Vijay Malia and the Indian banks. So they they could only buy the assets, which with the cars, the equipment and so on. They started a new company. They somehow got the FIA to agree to a new entry and they were able to race at Spa. But the problem for several teams is that it's so clear in black and white that you have to be the same company and have the same entry to carry on keeping that money. And that's what they agreed to. They didn't agree to this second scenario that actually happened of it being a new company. And Hass are clearly the ones that are most upset. But it was interesting that... um we heard from Zach Brown in uh, Monza. He wasn't in Spa, so he didn't really get an inside view from McLaren. And he's made it clear that he believes that in the Haas position that uh, Force India, the new Force India, shouldn't be getting all the money of the old team. But the question is that uh, there were two documents. The first one that related to the first scenario, seemingly everybody signed. And then some people signed a second one that agreed to the second scenario. A lot of the teams didn't seem to mind either way that it was a new company but there are some people who didn't sign the second one and that's the the question mark that has everybody agreed well i have some sympathy for for Haas here because their position appears to be that they didn't get their they they had to wait as a new team before they could qualify for the for the for the payments for finishing in the top 10 in two of the previous three seasons so they've only got that this year and and Force India is a new entry, qualified for it straight away. And Force India's position on that is that, well, they deserve it because, you know, that that system only exists to make sure that a team doesn't come in and rely on money from F1 to 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 work, basically. So they, they stand on their own two legs and then actually once they prove that they can be here and compete and exist, they're then rewarded with this extra money. And that I would agree with that if this company hadn't collapsed into administration. Like it wasn't. It, it didn't. It didn't work. It 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 couldn't 
work on its own. It couldn't work with the money it was getting from F1. And I know that says a lot about how flawed F1's financial structure is and the way the teams can get sponsorship and how much sponsorship they can get. But the fact is they, 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 they failed the system. So I can completely see why Haas is saying, well, hang on, we had to go through this process, even though Gene Haas put money in his pocket to, to, to fund this team. So why should we make an exception for, for these when they've had to go through as an, a new entry? And the other argument from Haas is that uh, um, everyone understands the need to keep 20, uh, 20 cars on the grid and to keep all these 400 Force India guys employed. Um, but there seems to have been a, I don't know, politically correct is the, is the right phrase. We had a discussion about this the other day, but there seemed to be a, an effort from Liberty and the FIA that sort of anything goes in terms of ensuring that these two cars were, were still on the grid. Haas's view is that if we weren't here, there'd only be 18 anyway. And nobody helped us a couple of years ago when we were trying to get going. You know, we had to sort of pay our way with no prize money in the first year and so on. And I think that's a pretty valid point and you can see why they're annoyed. And there's another scenario is that um, people forget that before Renault bought the Enstone team, Lotus, um, the end of 2015, I think it was, they looked at Sauber, they looked at Force India. Enstone wasn't the, the clear option. It seems like it was now. And they actually looked so closely at Force India that they realized that what actually happened this time around, that with all the situation around VJ shares, it was going to be very hard to buy. So they said, well, can we buy the assets? And Bernie told them in no uncertain terms, no, you can't because you'll lose everything. You'll start, have to start again. So they said, oh, okay. And they went into the deal with Enstone. But if you look back over history, there have probably been many teams that would survive and possibly still be here today if they'd had as much leeway as Force India has been given this time around. Um, I mean, whether that's a, a a good thing or a bad thing, that um, it's impossible to say because obviously it's clearly a good thing that Force India is on the on the grid, and p- perhaps Bernie should have showed a bit more leeway all those years ago. But you've got to feel sorry in a way for some of those team bosses that ended up losing their teams and especially all the guys that lost their jobs that if Bernie had uh, given them a bit more rope as it were they'd still be here today yeah I'd agree with that I mean I I completely uh, you know I think Huss's position is perfectly reasonable given given what's going on what they had to do I think as a general rule you know it is it is a sensible aspiration you've got a, a race team there that employs a lot of people that's successful that that has a way of continuing and you, sh- you should want to do that but ideally what needs to happen is we need to have a scenario where teams can through the way the revenue shared etc exist and be and be sustainable that's that's the ideal thing and it, that's the kind of root cause of why why this this is all made uh, made so difficult but but ultimately you know the, the force india story that with, with uh, the racing point manifestation of, of the team it, it's remarkable and yeah it, the fact that that team's kind of held together and been able to come out in the second half of the season so strongly it's, it's hugely impressive it'd be fascinating to see what they can do uh what they can do in Singapore. Uh, in terms of other stories, obviously we mentioned the Marcus Ericsson shunt. Again, there's a little bit more uh, talk about the halo thanks to uh, the fact that got that got a hit when uh, Ericsson went over. I think it was totally about four times Ericsson went over. That was a that was a DRS failure, of course, that that uh, that caused that spectacular, wasn't it, Scott? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was remarkable just hearing the response of of Ericsson's colleagues in on the on the grid on on Friday when you sort of asked, like, "What did you think when you saw that?" And it was. I think, I think Ricardo called it crazy. Gasly said it was a scary crash, admitted that it's not the thing you want to see when you're sat in the car waiting to go out. Alonso said, you know, thank God he wasn't hurt. 
everybody was basically like, it, it, I was surprised actually the number of people that sort of un, uh, unprompted when they were sort of, you know, when they're asked the generic, oh, how was your day? And just ha- a good half the grid probably said, or made reference to Ericsson's crash and said, oh, glad he, glad he was okay, unprompted. So it was something that everybody had seen and the magnitude of the accident wasn't lost on, on, on any of his rivals. Yeah, very much so. And I think, I think it's just because of the, the nature of the crash. And I spoke to, I spoke to Ericsson on, uh, on Saturday and, and he said, you know, normally when an accident happens, you see it coming, you make an initial mistake, you know what's going to happen. But at one minute, you're just going along, you press the brake and then you're off. There's nothing you can do about it. And I think, I think that's one of the things that drivers kind of gives them that extra little bit of, of, uh, kind of thought to think, well, something could go wrong. And then you're just pitched into a, well, there's nothing you can do about it. If Ericsson just made a mistake and chucked it at the wall, you can say, yeah, big shunt, but, you know, it happens. But I guess it's that kind of out of your hands feeling that kind of triggers that uh, that extra sympathy. Well, it's like an IndyCar crash, wasn't it, really? The, from uh, when it started to turn left to hitting the barrier, it was, it was so fast and the speeds involved. And we don't we don't see crashes like that in Formula 1 very often because it tends to be people spinning across gravel traps or, or tarmac runoff areas before they hit anything but yeah it was quite spectacular well i think probably we've uh, we've gone over the race enough and uh, it's it's gone one here which explains our semi-delirious ramblings about the race but we hope we've given you a little bit of a little bit of insight and if, if you liked it give us a give us a nice positive review if you didn't like us you can also give us a give us a review but give, give us, us a, a nice negative review but you know give us give us a break but if you give us a negative review like lewis hamilton we will take that and it'll just make us stronger. We'll come back ever more powerful. Uh, also, check out autosport.com. Loads of news and reaction to the race uh, there on Sunday night and will be appearing through the next couple of days and all uh, the latest latest uh, goings-on because there's all sorts of uh, big stories uh, coming on. Driver market's a huge thing. We haven't really uh, even talked about that. There's some movements there uh, over, over the weekend. Autosport magazine will be out on Thursday. There'll be in-depth coverage of the Italian Grand Prix weekend in that also check out sister titles, motorsport.com and F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. With MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired. Fearless. Unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.